the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Happy Sunday night and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm your host, Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined tonight by Rotographs contributor, J.P. Breen. And today we are talking about a call-up that is making headlines and talking pitchers and a first-rounder who is continuing to struggle. But first, we're going to talk about that call-up, and he's the most interesting player alive today. No surprise, that's Jerkson Profar. He was called up today to replace the now-injured Ian Kinsler in Texas. JP, is he a guy that fantasy owners should be rushing to the free agent pool to pick up right now? It's a good question, and I think if you are weak up the middle of your fantasy roster, he's obviously somebody you want to be able to pick up. And I know a lot of people have picked him up in Dynasty Leagues or Keeper Leagues already, and... You know, he's a, he's a really interesting guy in terms of what he can bring to the table because he's got he has the potential to both hit home runs, stolen bases, he can he can help you in average and if you're in an on-base percentage league, his his walk rate's been solid throughout and he's one of those really exciting prospects who doesn't seem to need a lot of development time especially when he's reaching the major league level and so uh, if you're weak up the middle and you don't mind the fact that he might not be up to stay uh, absolutely, he's somebody that you want to go grab, but most likely in a lot of leagues, unless it's you know it's a little bit shorter, I don't even know if he's available. Yeah, well, definitely in deeper leagues, he's probably already on a team uh, on the bench. Uh, I know in my 15-team Tower Wars league, he's already on a team. Uh, I believe he's also on a team in my 15-team Labor League. And uh, I actually own Ian Kinsler in my Tower Wars league, so I don't even have the opportunity to putting uh, in a bid for Profar, but how long do you actually think he'll be up for? Because it sounds like for Kinsler, the injury isn't considered to be serious, and he should be back right when he is eligible to return from the DL, which it'll be backdated for a couple of days, so he's probably going to be back in less than two weeks, I would think. Don't you think that Profar is going to be sent right back down? It's, It's an interesting question, because one of the biggest things that I'm really interested to find out is if he comes up and rakes... Can you really send him down? You know, you're you're the. I don't know, and that's what's really interesting because Mitch Moreland is starting to play a little bit better. He's on a little bit of a hot stretch of sorts, so I don't think you can really revisit the Kinsler to first situation. But you know, he, right now he's hitting what two seventy eight. I was looking at a little earlier. I think two seventy eight, three seventy, and and you know, on pace for double digit home runs and more than fifteen steals. That kind of production is hard to send down, and I know that you're getting relatively the same level of production from Kinsler, so I don't necessarily know if you're losing anything by sending Profar down, but it's it's got to be hard to yo-yo somebody like that, so I don't, I don't really know. It's a great question. It's something I was thinking about earlier. I don't know what's going to happen once Kinsler comes back. I really don't. And speaking of Profar's playing time, even when Kinsler is on the DL, I actually read in one of the articles that apparently... Profar is going to split time with utility man Lori Garcia, which makes absolutely no sense to me. And then they said that once Kinsler returns, he'll probably get 
sent right back to AAA because they want him to play every day. Well, if they want him to play every day, why would he split time with Laurie Garcia after his call-up? That doesn't really make any sense to me. I mean, is that do you see that possibly happening at all, him splitting time, or is he almost guaranteed to get every day at bats? Well, I don't think you bring him up unless you're giving a guy every day at bats. If the, if you were looking for a, somebody to split some time for two weeks, you don't need to bring Profar up and start his clock. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking too, except that article mentioned that he's going to split time with Laurie Garcia. So I just thought that was odd. And I Yeah, would, that logic doesn't really no, follow. It doesn't. So. it doesn't. I would be surprised if that happened because obviously they want him to play every day and uh, they at least want to see – what he can do in, in the couple of weeks that he's going to be given a chance, considering, I mean, he only had 17 plate appearances last year, didn't do anything with it. So, obviously, Rangers fans, fantasy owners, we all want to see what Profar can do. But do you think maybe, from a fantasy standpoint at least, he might be a little overrated? Uh, in March, Jason Catania on Rotographs had a list of players who he thought were better in reality than fantasy. And I think these articles are good because if you just look at the top 100 prospect lists, they're not geared toward fantasy baseball. They're geared toward real baseball. And there are a lot of real baseball skills that aren't valuable in fantasy. And then there are also fantasy skills like stealing bases that aren't worth as much in reality. So I think these types of articles are good. And Profar was mentioned as being better in reality than fantasy. Do you think that might be true? I think if you were looking at... Profar at shortstop, I'm not sure I would agree with that. Um, having somebody who can be 15 homers, 20-plus stolen bases, you know, hitting 270, 280 at shortstop, I think that's golden. But at second base, I mean, even at second base, that's valuable. So I, I don't necessarily know I if I agree with that. And, and I think the biggest thing is when you're looking at somebody touted as the top prospect, you also have to remember he's what? 20, 19, 20 years old. He's 20. And, you know, it's it's tough to think about the kind of projection that's locked into those prospect lists because Profar, he might be the number one because of what he can do at, you know, 26 to 28. And that's not necessarily going to translate into fantasy right away. It, I mean, we've been spoiled a little bit with Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and, you know, Manny Machado now. I, I'm not necessarily sure that Profar is going to be somebody that can come in and just rake like that, but everybody wants to see it. I mean, it's definitely exciting. Yeah, I think what it is is that he's arguably the top prospect in all of baseball, and you assume that top prospects are going to have a major impact in fantasy as well. But it looks like right now, all he really is is kind of like a maybe a 15-15 guy. Maybe he'll steal 20 bases. Maybe he's a 15-20 guy. And I feel like that might be his upside at this point, which is pretty darn good in fantasy, but not amazing. I mean, this is not like a a third round pick or anything, but it's, I think coming down to projecting how his peak power potential would be, because right now it looks like his power potential, you know, is pretty good for a middle infielder, but nothing special. And if he developed the type of power that maybe an Ian Kinsler uh, has, you know, 25 to 30 home runs at his peak, then we can talk about him as a top fantasy guy. But right now it doesn't look like he has that type of power. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I, again, I think a lot of his prospect um, in terms of what he's ranked, I think it's I think it's highly tied to the fact that he's going to be able to be legit at short. And just right now, the Rangers don't they don't need anyone there with Elvis Andrews. So it's it's a really interesting conundrum, and I do think that in the season after 
Trout and Harper have put together such great seasons, having a top prospect is is almost deemed a slam dunk, and, and it's very, very misleading that way because it doesn't often happen like that. We've been spoiled a little bit, and I don't ne- necessarily know every single time a top prospect is coming up, you, you're necessarily grabbing him and expecting him to slide into you know, your de facto starting roster and, and being able to carry it. It doesn't happen like that, and it's just been we've been seeing a really strange, really really rare stretch of phenomenal players coming through. Yeah, this is true, and it spoils everybody. But I, I want to move on to another guy who is not showing any power at all. And you actually a month ago wrote about Matt Kemp, and you titled your article that he's struggling to make contact. Well, since then his contact rate basically back in line with what he's done in previous season. So that's not the issue. The issue now, where's the power? He has one home run all year. And what was funny is I was going back to your article, and this was a month ago. So I think it was April 19th. And you had mentioned that the updated steamer full season projections at that point were for 25 home runs. Well, now they're down to 21 home runs. That is quite a disappointment for Matt Kemp and for fantasy owners that – Probably everybody drafted him in the first round or or paid at least $30 for his services. What's going on here? I mean, do you think he is going to rebound at all in the power department, or is he an absolute bust and he's not a buy-low option? It's it's a complete mystery. I mean, he's 20, 27, I think. Quick math, off, or 28, 28 years old. Uh, 28. 28 years old, and he's never hit you know, less than 20 home runs in the past four seasons. And now suddenly just the switch has been flipped off. And I don't necessarily know I have any good answers right now. I mean, there were some articles written in terms of scouts saying that he's really pulling off balls on the outer part. And it's, it's, it's literally almost beyond explanation in terms of just what the numbers can tell you as far as how his numbers have just imploded. His, his contact rates have, have, gotten a little bit better his swinging strike rate still bad i mean strikeouts are still an issue and i i still think that he's going to be able to bounce back i mean i i don't think that type of talent that matt kemp has just falls asleep and doesn't wake up (laughs) well that would be a true sleeper one who (laughs) sleeps all season long (laughs) except except in the bad way yeah, but I mean, this is a guy coming off of shoulder surgery, so you you gotta assume that the shoulder is seriously killing his power, and it, it's hard to really be optimistic that it's going to come around and suddenly he's gonna break out and have that four home run week to basically quell all our fears that this is just gonna be a bust of a season all year. Well, I mean, is it really a situation in which the shoulder is really zapping his power, or is it a mechanical issue that he's done to compensate for that shoulder issue? And I don't, ha- and I don't have a good answer to that. But that's, I think, is a big. There's a big difference there. I mean, if it's mechanical, that it can be fixed. But if it's, you know, if it's a strength issue in his shoulder, that's something else completely. And I, I like I said, I don't have a good answer for that. Well, let me actually ask you a question that maybe you'd be able to help me. So. I am in a fantasy league that has screwy categories because the person who set the league up thinks he's cool. And it has total bases and on-base percentage instead of batting average. I own Shinsu Chu, who normally, obviously he's having a fabulous season. But coming into the year, this is this type of scoring system 
where he's worth more than in a 5 by 5 boost. He walks a lot, and so his on-base percentage is very good compared to his batting average, which is merely okay. Well, I got offered Matt Kemp for Shinsu Chu and Brett Anderson. Brett Anderson, you know, obviously injured. We don't have to worry about him. But just comparing Matt Kemp to Shinsu Chu in an OBP league, also with total bases, I mean, is that a cho- Who would you rather have the rest of the season? That's a great question. I mean, I declined on- it, and I couldn't even figure out how to counter that because I thought maybe Kemp's downside would basically be equal what I would get from Chu. But I wanted to hedge my risk. I wanted somebody else along with Kemp. And on his team, I just couldn't find anybody. So right now we're kind of dead in terms of trade negotiations. So I'm curious for your uh, thoughts here. For me, I think it would depend on where I am in the standings. I think if I have really been struggling, I might want Matt Kemp figuring he's somebody that's going to present a little bit more upside for me. Um, But if, if I have had a good season already and I have a chance to bring up somebody like Shu who... I mean, let's face it, he's moving to the NL, which is easier than the American League. He's in a much smaller ballpark in the in Cincinnati. He's with a very, very good offense, and he's going to be, you know, lead off as far as we can tell for the rest of the season. I mean, at this point, it it really does depend on on where I am. But I don't I don't know what's going on with Matt Kemp. It, it's really difficult for me to say. Matt Kemp is going to rebound off of this other than the fact that I'm looking at what he's done the last five years and what everybody knows Matt Kemp to be and just assuming that that can't be gone. It's just unfathomable. The fact that his ISO power is, you know, was 236 last year and right now it's 070. Yeah, it's crazy. And I mean, at this point, it's just really hard to take any injury risks knowing that he's coming off of an injury and we basically have the explanation. So it's just a matter of, if it's the shoulder, is he ever going to feel better this year? And it's just not a risk that I, I want to take considering you asked where I am in the standings. I think I'm in like third. I, I fluctuate between like second and, and fifth. They're all within a couple of points of each other. And of course, this guy is in first that wants to trade me Kemp. Right. So, well, yeah. even, if you, even if you look back what he did in 2010 when he had – he hit roughly 250 and it was – Deemed a pretty down year for him. His strikeout rate was way up, and and a lot of people were looking at Matt Kemp and saying, "What happened from the year before in 2009, where he was an MVP candidate?" And he still hit 28 home runs and stole 20 bases that year. And so, it, it's it's really difficult to pin down what's happening. But I, I agree with you. I think in the position you're in, I don't think that I would take Matt Kemp. I think I'd be much more comfortable taking the known commodity. All right, let's move along to another guy who will probably be called up in a couple of days. And he's actually our second most searched for player on Fangraphs, and that's Jake Odorizzi, who's going to be replacing David Price, who is now on the disabled list with a triceps injury. And I actually, I'm wondering, I think he, he, did, he said that it hasn't actually been an issue for him uh, all season. It, it's something that just came up in his last start, but I just wonder if maybe he's not fully telling the truth, and that's bothered him considering his velocity is down. But let's talk about Odorizzi, because obviously it's all speculation on the injury with Price. And uh, is Jake Odorizzi somebody that you would look to? I mean, like, what size league would you consider taking a shot? Obviously, AL-only leagues blindly have to pick up anybody with a pulse. But let's say <laughs> let, let's say a 15-team mix. Let's say my labor, my tout wars league. Are you considering Odorizzi if you need a pitcher here? 
You can. I mean, I think that Odorizzi is somebody who was finding success in AAA. He was striking out more than a batter per inning, and he is somebody that has been a very, very strong prospect throughout his his time in the minors. And he is somebody who is expected to be a mid-rotation starter. And when you are pitching in a place like Tampa, I you, you can expect to find a little bit more success there than you could other places just because of the, the run environment. And I think he is somebody that you could take a chance on as long as you understand that I don't think he's going to strike out as many as he is right now. I think most of his his success has come off of pitchability. I don't, he was a Brewers prospect for a long time. I've, I've, I've run a Brewers blog for quite a while. I know a lot about Odorizzi because he was in the Brewers system and he is a guy who's more going to be probably seven, seven and a half strikeouts per nine and going to be more of a, of an innings eater in the middle of the rotation and be a, a more of a field guy. He's not going to overpower anybody. And, if you're okay with that, again, I think when you're looking at Odorizzi, it's a lot of expectation. You're going to have to realize he's going to struggle a little bit at times. If you're okay with taking the roller coaster for a bit because you know what his ultimate upside is and you're willing to take the chance, absolutely. Absolutely. If your starting ro- rotation for your, your fantasy team is is struggling, you need some strikeouts and you need somebody that can put up some decent rates, give him a shot. But just know the fact that he is going to be making the jump and he's – you know, going into the AL East, it's, it could be a little bit of a rocky road for him. Yeah, well, personally, oh, sorry, continue. I, oh, for it, for it. So I was personally hoping that Chris Archer would get the call because I own him in a league. I like him better than Odorizzi. I think he has much better strikeout potential. And my I do biggest, too. Yeah, my biggest concern with Odorizzi is his fly ball rate. I mean, he's been an extreme fly ball pitcher in the minors. And Tampa Bay isn't obviously the worst place to be a fly ball pitcher. It's a it's a nice pitcher's park. But a rookie coming up, you said that his strikeout rate isn't exactly going to translate to the majors. Uh, his control has been, you know, solid, but it's not going to be, you know, great. That is a big concern that he's going to let up a ton of home runs and he's just going to have those – completely imploding games where he'll go like four innings giving up seven runs. And even in a 15-team league, I I just think there are better options available. Honestly, I think I might rather have a good middle reliever than take a chance on Odorizzi. That's understandable. And the other thing with Odorizzi is he's just not – he doesn't project to be up for very long, at least in my estimation. If Price comes back – if it's a minor issue, like Price seems to think it's a minor issue, then I don't think that Odorizzi is going to be out for very long, and or is is going to be up for very long in the rotation. And he's not somebody that's going to be a world beater for you know a month. He's not going to change anything. Yeah, this is true. Price supposedly isn't expected to be out for very long, but a triceps injury is a bit scary, wouldn't you say? I mean, anything that has to do with a pitcher's arm, a biceps injury, a forearm injury, a triceps. That would make me nervous if I was a price owner. And before that injury, I was looking at price as maybe a buy low guy. I mean, his ERA was like over five. But now with the triceps injury, the fact that his velocity has been down, I'm not touching price. And I think this could be uh, more than what it sounds like it is so far. So I'd be nervous. And it's possible Odorizzi stays up longer than expected if he pitches well. Otherwise, if he doesn't, maybe Chris Archer gets the call, you know, within a couple of weeks. Sure, and I and I agree with you on on price. I, anytime that anything is is wrong with a forearm or a triceps or a biceps, I had a I was talking to a, a 
baseball scout, somebody way smarter than me, and and he was essentially saying, anytime you have a forearm injury or anytime you have a triceps injury or biceps injury, that's just a kind way of saying somebody's elbow hurts. Yeah. And that's not anything that I'm going to mess with at all, especially if I'm going to be having to pay what you have would have to pay to get David Price, even if he is on the DL. And the yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I wouldn't touch, wouldn't touch him, wouldn't touch him. All right, let's talk about a more established pitcher, and that's Anibal Sanchez, who is sporting a career best. Ready for this? Swinging strike rate, strikeout rate, Sierra, x FIP, FIP, uh, strikeout to walk ratio, uh, ERA. A whip, yes, whip as well. He's having a career year so far, and I can say it in many ways. But how much do you believe in this strikeout rate? I know you recently posted about his strikeout rate, and you brought up a very interesting issue about his opposition, and that's something that we don't normally analyze too much. But in early in the season, when you have such a small sample size, I think it is smart to to look at the opposition and that he's faced high strikeout teams yeah and he faced the rangers on saturday and it was you know they strike out the least in the entire majors and he only he struggled i think he only struck out two or three guys in before before being lifted and it was something to me that i wasn't necessarily expecting that big of a drop off but it's a huge question mark to look at somebody whose recent success and kind of unprecedented success is such being completely reliant on that increased strikeout rate and that increased swinging strike rate and the fact that it is being buoyed by, you know, facing the Braves and facing the Twins and and some teams like that. And, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily know what to make of it as a whole. I mean, he's throwing harder. I mean, his velocity is up pretty much across the board. Um, he's throwing more, more uh, pitches in the strike zone, I believe. I don't have his numbers pulled up, but from researching the article uh, last week, I believe his zone percentage is up as well. And and he's always been somebody that just stuff-wise you expected to do more than what he's done. And that's why I think that this breakout season of sorts is so interesting because Annabelle Sanchez, everybody wanted him to be this pitcher. And now seeing him do it, you know, there there is a lot of reason to believe there. But I don't think the swinging I – don't, I don't think the strikeout rate is necessarily something here to stay. I think it is a little bit – due to come down a little bit just because of the uh, opposition like I wrote on, on Friday. Yeah, and this is pretty amazing that this big breakout is happening when he's spending his first full season in the American League. Usually this type of a breakout you might expect from the AL to the NL, but he was in the National League his whole career, and he just moved on to Detroit last year. And as we know, pitcher strikeout rates decline when they move from the NL to the AL because they have to face the DH instead of the pitcher. So it's it's pretty impressive that he's done it this far while in the American League. So obviously we expect that his strikeout rate is going to decline somewhat. But how far do you think it's going to decline? For the rest of the season, do you think he's going to continue to strike out more than a batter per inning or less? Uh, I, to be honest, I, I wouldn't be willing to put money on it because I haven't watched him in more than a one start. And I, I have... <laughs> I know that the potential has always been there, and, and kind of talking about a little bit off topic, um, you were talking a little bit about making the switch over to the American League and watching your swing strike rate. Ryan Dempster has done the exact same thing this year, just in like in a kind of unbelievable way. His swinging strike rate and his strikeout rate has just ballooned after 
spending so much time in the NL and that's been kind of crazy to see too. But, um, Anibal Sanchez, I, I think that the success has a chance to stay. And I, and I know that his, his swinging strike rate is a lot more than just blindly being his opposition. But to, to be honest, I, I wouldn't be willing to put money on it just because I haven't watched enough to know if he's, you know, wholly different than what I saw last year. Yeah, it's weird because when I look at Sanchez's pitch mix, he looks like he's throwing his pitches almost in identical rates than in previous years. So I just wonder what he's doing differently to get these results than he has in the past. I I can't really figure it out. But I want to play a game of Would You Rather? And I'm going to throw out the name of a pitcher, and you're going to tell me if you'd rather that pitcher or Anibal Sanchez. And the first guy was actually one of your preseason bold predictions. That's Jeff Samarja, who you said will be a top 10 starter in the National League, which is a bold prediction that personally I didn't think was very bold because I wholeheartedly, I love the prediction. I don't think, for me, it wasn't bold enough because I love it. I completely agree. I love Samarja. So would you rather Anibal Sanchez or Jeff Samarja for the rest of the season? To tell you the truth, I actually wavered on going even higher than that on on Samarja for the uh, ESPN sweet spot ballots that we had to do for being in that network for disciples of euchre uh i actually put him as number three for the the cy young and i so i i think samarja i would take all day just because i know that the the stuff is there to, to have strikeouts the entire year the only thing i'm concerned about with samarja is just being able to get enough innings to especially in points leagues i i, I am in one points league and i and i own him in that as well and it's just working into uh, games is so much more valuable. And so that's the only concern that I have. And, and just like last year, I mean, he did go through an entire month. I believe it was June, June or July, where his command just completely left him. And that's something that you do have to worry about with Samarja. But I, I, I would take him all day just for the exact same reasons that I would take would have taken him before the season. Yeah, I love Samarja too. I probably would take him over on a ball as well. But my concern just stems from the Cubs offense just isn't that great. And their bullpen is terrible and keeps costing Samarja wins. I mean, he's 2-5 and five on the year with a 349 ERA, which is ridiculous. Just another reason why looking at win-loss record is stupid. And, I mean, that would be my only concern. Just what kind of run support he's going to get for the rest of the season. But in terms of overall skills and ratios, I'm going Samarja. How about this one? Animal Sanchez or Homer Bailey? You know, and when you put out the agenda... I immediately looked at that and said, what do you mean Homer Bailey? And then I actually looked at him a little bit and, and maybe it's, you know, I'm blocking it out because the Brewers have done so badly and the Reds have done well, but it, I didn't necessarily notice how well he was doing this year. Cause the velocity's up again. I believe his fastball is up around 93 mile, miles an hour. He's striking out more He's being that guy that everybody thought he could be in the minors when he was coming up. I mean, he was a stud uh, prospect when he was coming up and, when he started to struggle in in Cincy, that was a that was a big deal that he was struggling. That was a big disappointment. Um, but I, I would take Anibal Sanchez over uh, Homer Bailey for for two reasons. Number one, track record. Uh, Anibal Sanchez has, has had more track record of success, even if it's not at the level that he's p- pitching at right now. Um, and the fact that uh, Homer Bailey's in the Great American Ballpark, and <laughs> I mean that that's a bandbox. And I, I don't really like Reds pitchers as a whole. Um, 
just for that reason, I usually avoid them just because the same reasons that I don't really like to take Texas Rangers pitchers. And I, I wouldn't take him just for that reason as a whole. I mean, unless your name is Roldis Chapman and you don't really have to worry about giving up too many home runs unless your name is Freddie Galvis, apparently. Yeah, unless you want to blow my homer belly winds, of course. So <laughs> I wasn't too pleased with Aroldis Chapman after today. Two home runs, really? I mean, the first one blew the save, so I didn't even care that he gave up the other home run. Actually, I was happy because it was like, screw you, Aroldis, you're going to blow Bailey's win. Now you get to blow the game. Ha, ha, ha. Right. So, you don't have to worry about him going into extras and sniping that win like Chris Perez did. Yeah, seriously. that There's nothing more that annoys me in fantasy than when the closer blows your win and then gets the win all for himself. It, it Only when you're playing him. Yeah, is that worse? Yeah. So I'm actually going to make it two for two against Anibal Sanchez, and I I would take Homer Bailey the rest of the year as well. I am loving Homer Bailey this year. First of all, I'm a little biased. I do own Homer in several leagues, and he is looking like a legit major breakout guy this year. You mentioned it. His velocity is up, and it's been consistently up all season. Swinging strikeout percentage is up. His first strike percentage is the same great rate as it's always been. And he's also a guy who seemingly has had better stuff than his strikeout rates have indicated. And and right now his strikeout percentage is matching up with that increased strikeout uh, swinging strike rate. But also I think the biggest thing for Homer Bailey is that his ground ball rate is at 50%. And he's in times uh, last year, the year before that, he struggled with home runs. His home run per fly ball rates have been above the league average. But now when he's allowing fewer fly balls, then the home run ball isn't going to affect him as much. Right now, he's only allowed four home runs in over 50 innings. So he's doing well in that regard. His Sierra is the lowest of his career. So I'm really liking Bailey. I think he's an under-the-radar, buy-high kind of a guy because I don't think anybody has really caught on to how good he can be this year. I mean, JP, you clearly haven't either because you were surprised just by looking at his name. Until you look at the stats, you you don't even realize that, whoa, Homer Bailey might be really good this year and even better than some people thought who liked him like me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to the last name in the Would You Rather game, Anibal Sanchez or Hiroki Kuroda. Speaking of underrated, I find that Hiroki Kuroda is underrated every single year. He is. I, I mean, he is underrated every single year. But I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take him over Anibal Sanchez. I mean, there, there actually is no chance that I'd take him over Anibal Sanchez for two reasons. Number one, he's not going to get the K's, and number two, that that batting average on balls in play is just begging for his ERA to come right back up. And I, I believe what was it, two thirty, two thirty three, something like that for the batting average on balls in play. And I know it, it, it is admittedly very, very simplistic to just look at, you know, Babip and just say that somebody's going to regress, but that's that's really low. And the fact that he's not even striking out six per nine innings, that's just not anything that I'm going to be able to uh take other than, you know, obviously he's gonna get the wins and his ERA is his stellar right now, but I I've always been somebody that I want both the K's and the rates. And so um I, I take Anibal Sanchez over over Corota, even though I agree with you completely that he's he's underrated every year. Yeah, I do agree with you. I would take Anibal as well. But I think Kuroda is an interesting case because his swinging strike rate, his contact rate, they're basically the same as they've always been. 
which suggests to me that he's been a bit unlucky with his strikeout rate, and that should rise, and he should get back to pretty much where he's been in previous years. So although obviously he's going to regress, he's not you know a sub-two ERA guy, nobody is, but I think he does get back to the point where he's a mid-three ERA guy rather than the four uh, Sierra right now because his skills don't look as good as I think they will be by the end of the season. So, sure. But even when you're looking at his swinging strike rate and his uh, and and his K rate as a whole, I mean, even if he does get back to his career norms, I mean, he's still not providing that. His strikeout rate is not that valuable. No. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And so even if he does come back to that, it's still not something that I'm going to go out of my way to buy. Absolutely right. He's one of those where it's weird. Is he a, a sell-high guy or is he a – it depends on who you're dealing with, if how into sabermetrics they are because you could look at his metrics in various ways. You look at the Sierra and say, oh, he's a sell-high. But then you look at the advanced metrics and you say, oh, but his metrics should get better. So maybe he's not a sell-high and blah, blah, blah. So he's an interesting guy in that case. Either way, we would both take Anibal Sanchez over Hiroki Kuroda. And I want to get to a last pitcher to discuss. And here's a guy, you know, I closed your bold prediction article. So if you remember it, you had a bold prediction about Brett Anderson. I know it was a positive one. You thought he should be good. Do you remember your exact bold prediction? Uh, not off the top of my head. I believe I said something to the effect of he was going to be a top 30 pitcher um, in the American. Or I don't remember if I said American League or what it was. But essentially it was just a prediction of his health. And just said he was going to be healthy for the first time in a while, and when, yeah. when and that obviously went poorly. I think we've learned that that's a loser's game to ever expect Brett Anderson to be healthy. Seriously, I think from now on, if there's a projection system that projects more than 100 innings, it's wrong. So please, when I do my projections next year, remind me when I get to Brett Anderson, do not go over 100 innings. He will find a way to injure every part of his body before the end of the season. I mean, he's right now, what, got stress fracture in his foot? Yeah, we, how did that even happen? I thought that it was his, uh, what was it, his, I can't even remember, his ankle, his ankle. It was his ankle, now it's his foot? Well, I mean, to be fair, it could be related in that way. Brett Anderson I mean, is probably not related. He's hurting all over his body. He cannot get up in the morning from his bed without injuring himself. He reminds it's perhaps it's the Oakland thing, but ever every time I see Brett Anderson now, I'm just like, what are they putting in there w- with the water? Because Rich Harden came to mind, and the fact that Ben Sheets obviously came over there, and he Ben Ben Sheets had been hurt, you know, for years as well with freak injuries, and and he kind of blew out his elbow in 2008 anyway with the Brewers and pitching through something he probably shouldn't have in the first place, and he was just pretty much gone. But Oakland has to deal with a lot of those guys that are just injured every single year. And oh, what is Dallas Braden doing now, by the way? Is he still, is he still injured? I'm he's assuming. just watching the video of his perfect game, wondering how that ever happened. Yeah, or watching Alex Rodriguez walk across his mound. Yes. Was it, wait, was it a perfect game or a no-hitter? I don't remember. It, I, think it was, I think it was a perfect game. Yeah. But I, I we'll probably get, a, uh, probably get a bunch of comments telling us we're stupid because it was only a no-hitter. But I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a perfect game. Yeah, so he's probably watching it because, I mean, I – yeah, I mean, he had, like, surgery, right? I, I, we haven't heard from him since, so who knows? I don't know. But Brady Anderson just really bothers me because every year I re- really like him. I really liked him this year. I drafted him in a couple of leagues. And I was 
all excited. Oh, he's finally going to return. Then all of a sudden, oh, you have a, a stress fracture in your foot out of nowhere. So he's going to miss at least a month. And the question now is, if you hold him in like a 12-team league, do you just drop him or do you hold on to him and wait for him once again to return? Well, based on my bold predictions, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising to anybody. I drafted him in a couple leagues and I already cut bait. I mean, that just the fact that during spring training, he was already struggling with with arm stuff and he missed spring a lot of spring training because I, I don't remember if it was tendonitis or what it was, but or just stiffness. But he was having arm or shoulder troubles during spring training and then he came back and and didn't pitch very well. Uh, to begin the season, and now is coming through all these freak injuries again. I just, you know, sometimes it feels good to just cut the line with somebody and let him go. But even with Brett Anderson, the fact that he wasn't pitching well at the beginning of the year, I'm not going to deal with somebody that, A, is almost certain to get injured again. And I was already trying to, I already was saving room in a couple of my leagues on the DL with Brandon Beachy. So I'm, I, I'm not going to, like, completely sacrifice both DL spots, but it's, I, I wouldn't blame anybody for, for just letting Brett Anderson go. But at the same time, every single year, I, I agree. I think that Brett Anderson can be something. So I also don't blame anybody for, for holding on to him and expecting him to come back for a couple months at the end of the season and pitch lights out because it's not like we haven't seen it before. Yeah. I've cut bait in the leagues that I own him. Uh, one of them, is actually the league that I commission and we don't have a disabled list at all. So he would just be sitting there wasting a bench spot. I'm like, there's no way I can hold on to him. So I dropped him there. And then there's another league with only one DL spot. I'm like, all right, I can't have him clogging up the bench dusty Baker style there. And so he's gone from all my teams. And obviously in an AL only or a league that has unlimited DL spots, obviously there's nothing that, hurts about just holding on to him but in a shallower league there's absolutely no reason to hold on to him especially with pitching you can always find some decent pitching on free agency so sadly enough i would say cut bait on brett anderson as much as i love him hey maybe he'll be a super sleeper next year yeah right right and uh, i'm gonna watch you're gonna actually go forth and you're gonna put innings projection and it's gonna be at about two thirty or at one thirty. Oh gosh it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I'll remind it. To, I'll remind you next year in Phoenix when I look at it. <laughs> I will never draft Brett Anderson again. I'm gonna just keep on repeating it <laughs> so I remember that for next year. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for us tonight. So join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on the Sleeper and the Bust. For JP Breen, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.